You are sojourners. If your sojourn looked like this, what would you think? If you, if your earthly journey included suffering like this, how would you react? How would you respond? What would you be able to write in response? If your sojourn through this earthly life looked like prison, being whipped, being beaten, being stoned, being shipwrecked multiple times, being constantly on the move, being in danger at every turn from rivers or bandits or enemies. If your sojourn through your earthly life included labor, and toil, and times with no sleep, and times going hungry or thirsty, being naked and cold. If that was the description, or if that is the description in a sense, of your earthly sojourn, would you be able to respond with these words that we see on the screen in 2 Corinthians 4? Would you be able to, having experienced that, write this, that this earthly life is a light and momentary affliction? I, I just don't know if I would have responded that way, but, but Paul, one of the early leaders in the church, responds that way. The things I described are true to life from his life journey, and yet he writes for this earthly journey is but a momentary affliction. Why? Because he had the big picture in mind. He goes on to say that, that his light momentary affliction, his walking and suffering and enduring suffering paled in comparison to the glorious reality of the return of Jesus and his eternal reward. That he could say light and momentary affliction. And so then he encourages us in the next verse that's up there about the middle of your screen. He says that we should then look not to things that what? Are seen. Look not to things that are visible around us, but look to the unseen. For things that are seen are transient, temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, why do we need that encouragement? Why does he have to tell us to look to the unseen not the scene. Do you need that reminder? I think we need the reminder because as Jesus followers, we are sojourners, meaning we are just passing through this earthly life. This is not our true home. The Bible teaches us that our citizenship as followers of Jesus, those that are in Christ, who have put their trust in him, that our citizenship is in heaven. And so we are just passing through. We are sojourners in this earthly life. And if this is not our true home, yet, yet, we need the reminder of don't look to the scene because I would like to suggest that even though we know we are just passing through, we have a tendency to set our hope on things that are seen. What does your earthly life include? Family and friends and job and hobbies and uh, kids and spouses and friendships, and, and we have a tendency this side of eternity in our, in our broken and sinful selves, we have a tendency to look sideways, horizontally to the things that are seen because they're visible, it's easier to understand, and so we put our hope in those things. Friends, we've said it before, we put our hope in things or people that will let us down. Is that true for you? We may not relate to shipwrecks and whippings and beatings, but does your earthly journey include suffering? And 
do we have a tendency then to sometimes put our hope in things that are seen instead of unseen? Open your Bible if you would. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in a minute here at verse 13. Thank you for bringing your Bible with you, whether it's a paper Bible on your lap or a device and open to your Bible app. We love to be people of God's Word here at Faith Church. We love to be people of the Word and have our finger in the text to hear from God through His Word. So open your Bibles with me and turn to 1 Peter 1. As we continue our series called Sojourners, we're asking God to show us that as sojourners, as temporary citizens of this earthly life on the way to our citizenship in heaven, how do we then live for Jesus? How do our lives glorify Jesus even in the midst of chaos and suffering that we are called to endure? That's what we are asking God to teach us as we uh, journey through the book in the Bible called 1 Peter in our series called Sojourners. And so let's start this morning's passage at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13. Therefore, and Derek's already going to stop reading. And the cheesy phrase that we've used before, the cheesy but I'll dare say helpful phrase that I think we should remember is the question we should ask when we see that word is what? What's the therefore? Therefore, it's cheesy, but it's helpful. Don't pluck single verses or phrases out of your Bible without understanding what we call context. And so the beginning of this morning's passage begins with the word therefore, because we've preached and taught the previous verses last Sunday, but it's still helpful for us to go, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, last Sunday, we started this new series through 1 Peter and included in last Sunday's study of the first chunk of verses in 1 Peter, we were um, encouraged and reminded of these things. Verse 3, if you want to look back earlier in the chapter, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, we were reminded last Sunday that because of God's great mercy, He, not us, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We we talked last Sunday about the opportunity we have to have new birth, to be born again, to come out of the darkness and into the light, to come out of death and have new life because we have a living hope, because Jesus is alive. He is the living hope. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Are we awake? Are we ready to hear from God's word this morning? I don't want to be the only one fired up, okay? It's okay to move. It's okay to breathe. It's okay to smile. It's okay to respond. Don't be unnatural. Don't be yourselves, but relax, and let's engage in God's word, okay? So last Sunday, we we saw that truth that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is our living hope, and he calls us out of death and to a living hope, a future living hope, eternal life with him in his presence. And then verse 6 last Sunday reminded us that in this living hope, in this gospel good news, we can rejoice even though for a little while you have been grieved by various trials. Last Sunday, we were... Uh, reminding each other that suffering is not a surprise for the follower of Jesus, that 
suffering and enduring, calling, being called to endure suffering is part of walking with and following Jesus. But church family, as we do, God is with us. So now let's take a little further look at our passage for today. First Peter 1, back to verse 13. Therefore, so what's the therefore, therefore? Therefore, because Jesus is our living hope, because God is with us, because we are sojourners who experience suffering on this side of eternity, because that is the norm for the Christian experience, because of that, let's continue in verse 13, we are to prepare our minds for action and be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare your minds. Let's look at verse 13 again. Prepare your minds. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everyone do this. What are you you saying when you do that? Uh, Some of you can't see. I have my fingers crossed. (laughs) My bad. (laughs) I was not giving you a thumbs up and I was not saluting you in any other appropriate way. In an inappropriate way. Crossing my fingers, what what is this communicating? Hoping, maybe, depending on our definition. Luck, yeah, wishing ourselves luck or wishing you luck. We're crossing fingers, right? But we talked about last week that uh, this, when we talk about biblical hope, when we read in God's word and, and we are invited to have hope, we are not talking about crossed fingers hope. We're not talking about wishful thinking. We are talking about, um, we are talking about absolute certainty we, that we can expect with absolute certainty because God fulfills his promises to us through Jesus. That what he says will be. That what he calls us to a living hope in the future will be true. And so this isn't just crossed fingers hoping. Our hope is set on this absolute certainty because God fulfills his promises. And so look, I love in verse 13 that phrase, the grace. First of all, that's a glorious word. What we don't deserve is given to us. There's so much more there, but as verse 13 says, set your hope fully on the grace that might be brought to you. Did it say might be brought to you? Did it say it might come, maybe, sort of? Set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you. Our salvation is secure because our hope is in God who has already worked his rescue plan on our behalf, who sent his son to live and die and be raised again. The gospel good news is that God pursued you and called you out of sin and death and darkness into his new light, into new life. The grace that will be brought to you, not something that we uh, work for, strive, earn, not something that we have to match up to, but it's something that God has already worked Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you from God's rescue plan through his son. I was reminded this morning in my devotional time of Jesus' words in John 14. They're on the screen. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. When we think of the grace 
the future grace, our living hope in the future. When we think of verse 13 calls the grace that will be brought to you. What is our hope based on? What true reality that will happen are we looking forward to? Jesus says in John 14, in my house, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If we're not so, I wouldn't have told you, uh, I would, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Church family, set your hope on the certain reality of that future grace. That's not crossed fingers hoping, is it? That's setting your hope on the certain reality of God's future grace. So that's the first thing. So, so the, what's the therefore, therefore? Because of our living hope, because as Christians we endure suffering, what then is Peter writing to us this morning's passage and encouraging us to do? Number one was set your hope on the reality of his future grace. Number two, the second thing we're looking at this morning is, let's keep reading in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What, is, what are some of the realities of our salvation that we remind ourselves of? In Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus who has submitted your life to the lordship of Jesus, if you have come to the end of yourself realizing there's nothing you can do in your own effort, power, religious works, checklist religion, if you have come to the end of yourself trying to save yourself and you have called upon Jesus as God's son, the rescuer of the world, if you are in Christ... What is true about our salvation? For those that are in Christ, we have been forgiven of sin. We have been rescued by God. And we have been, this is a marvelous reality, we have been adopted into his family. He calls us son and daughter. So, if we have the God of the universe, the creator of all things, as our father in heaven, then we are his children. So we honor our, our identity as God's kids. We live out this identity as God's kids. And one of the ways we do that is we obey, we are called, we are commanded to obey everything that Jesus commanded. One of the ways we live out our identity as God's children is we seek to obey the Father. And the way we can, in this passage, is saying that we are to be holy in all our conduct. That the way we conduct ourselves in the world, the way you interact with others, the way we have business dealings, the way that we handle schoolwork, the way that we carry on friendships, the way that we interact in the world, the way that we conduct ourselves, our words and our actions, all of that demonstrates who we serve. The ways we conduct ourselves in the world tell people around us that observe our lives what our life is all about, who it is for, and who we serve. And so as we read the scriptures there in verse 14 and 15, and we are called to be obedient children, and we recognize God as holy and perfect and set apart, and as God is holy, we too are to be holy. We are to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. 
then, then we should reflect and ask ourselves some hard questions. Do I look like the world or my heavenly father? Am I becoming more like Jesus as I submit to him each day? Or am I becoming more like the world around me? What are the, what are the primary influences? Do I live out my identity as a child of the one true God, seeking to live in holy obedience because he calls me to be holy as he is holy? Or are, the, or are other influences that come at me, causing me to live in ways that are opposed to him? And let's ask us this, let's ask ourselves this as well. What do my words and actions reveal about where my hope is? We said a few minutes ago, right, that we have a tendency, if we're not careful, to put our hope horizontally in things or people that will eventually let us down. What do my words and actions, what does my life conduct indicate about where I have set my hope? Is it horizontal or is my hope vertical? Have I set my hope on the seen or the unseen? Do I have my fingers crossed in wishful thinking or my heart set on the true, certain reality of the future grace that God has for me in Christ? So the first few verses in our passage invites us to set our hope on future grace. To set our hope not on the seen, but on the unseen. Our passage invites us to live holy, obedient lives. Why? Uh, what, why would we want to live holy lives? And the passage has lots to say about that. The first reason, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in my studies this week, <clears throat> excuse me, in my studies this week, uh, pastor-author David Helm suggests three motivations as we, as we uh, want to walk out in, in, as, as children of God, as we want to walk out this obedience to live holy lives, to have our conduct. <clears throat> Maybe I need to drink some more water. Ay, ay, ay. I could turn my mic off and like gargle or something. <clears throat> Or I could just leave my mic on and gargle. That would be, that'd be really interesting. This, pass, uh, this passage has invited us to set our hope on the future grace and to live holy lives. And David Helm suggests three motivations. The first one we've already seen, the first motivation we have to live holy lives is God's character. When we consider who he is, when we consider the greatness of our God, the creator of all things, uh, verse 15 says... We are called to be holy as he is holy. So the first motivation for our holiness is recognizing that our Father in heaven is holy and perfect and set apart and righteous and, and, uh, and living for, for all that is good and right. That's our first motivation. Number two, uh, the passage in verse 17 indicates that another motivation for our holy lives is God's uh, judgment. Verse 17 says, If you call on him as Father the one who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, 
then conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, throughout the time of your sojourn. As you walk through this earthly life, as you sojourn through this temporary home on your way to your citizenship in heaven, we have a Father in heaven who is an impartial judge and who judges each one of us according to our deeds. And so conduct yourselves with a reverent fear of God, with a recognition that God is real and alive and Jesus is reigning from his right hand and that he calls us to live for him. We have to recognize that, that reality and be motivated by it. And number three, why do we set our hope on future grace? Why do we live holy, obedient lives? Because of God's character, because of God's judgment. And then look as we continue the passage in verse 18, because of Christ's sacrifice. Listen to these words as the passage continues. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Church family, let's reflect on that a bit more. Listen and reflect and hear. Knowing that you were ransomed, rescued, bought by a price, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not ransomed, not bought back, not purchased with perishable things like silver or gold, but God in his love pursued you and paid for your redemption through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Alongside this passage then today, as we study from God's word in this particular passage, what a great opportunity then to share today in the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. We're going to do that together as part of our um, response after the message. And as we sing and lift our voices, we'll have an opportunity where you as followers of Jesus will be invited to the tables to share in the Lord's Supper. And, and we can use that time then, church family, the bread and the cup, to consider the body and blood, the precious blood of Christ, given for your redemption. We have opportunity when we come to the table and take the bread and the cup to consider the cost of our rescue. The, the extent to which our great God was willing to go to bring you out of the dark and into light. The cost that Jesus paid willingly so that you would not continue to live in sin but be forgiven of your sin, be transformed by the Spirit of God living within you to learn to enable to live for Him and then to have life, life now and life forever with Him. We, we come to the tables and we have opportunity to consider the cost of our redemption, the extent of God's love. The Bible teaches us that, that you are so loved by God that, 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 well, there's plenty of places that we could go in Scripture that describe God's love for us, right? But one of my favorites is that, that God, while you were yet sinners, 
while we were stuck in sin, while we were doing our own thing, where we were going our own way, where we, when we were putting ourselves in the place of God, when we were not surrendering ourselves and looking to a Savior, while you were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for you. God's love pursued you. You didn't need to match up. You didn't need to do certain stuff. You didn't need to be a good person. You needed to receive what Jesus has done for you on the cross. We put our faith and our trust in Christ as the rescuer we need. And, and so as we come to the Lord's ta- the, the tables in a few moments to share in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of Jesus' sacrifice, being willing to die that we might live. And then, when we come to the tables and we share the bread in the cup and we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us, then, then, we, we, we naturally overflow our, our gratefulness for what God has done for us, his love poured into us. It, it's natural then to live out our gratefulness with living in holy obedience. We don't live life, we don't, we don't check boxes or, or, or do certain religious things or try to be good people in order to be saved. We're not saved by our obedience but our obedience is is natural because we've been saved. Because Jesus has brought us out of death and into the light, out of the darkness and into the light, out of death and into life. You knew what I meant. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we're not saved by our obedience, but we obey because we are so grateful for that, the work that Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection. And so then the passage has just a bit more to say then about what do our holy, obedient lives look like? As we read the last few verses of the passage and then pray, and then we'll share in the Lord's Supper, but as we read the last few verses of the passage, what are some of these, these markers? What are these descriptors of a holy, obedient life? If you, follower of Jesus, are a child of God, our God is holy and we are to be called to conduct that is holy as he is holy, not because we have to earn his favor, but because we are thankful for his favor, then we live out these holy, obedient lives. And this is what the end, the last few verses of the passage, I think, are going to show us. There's more specifics coming in the next few verses, but in general, I would suggest this, that if you love Jesus, you will love the church. If I love Jesus... I will love the church. And when I say that we will love the church, am I referring to this building? No. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you love Jesus, you will love God's people, fellow believers. And so here's what we see at the end of 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you, the good news of a living hope, the, the, the good news of the gospel, that hope has a name and his name is Jesus, right? That life is found in Jesus. 
This is the good news that was preached to you. And so again, the passage is inviting us then that what do these holy lives look like? It looks like loving one another, we already saw. And now we continue at the beginning of chapter 2. It says, so put away all malice. Put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, long for being nourished by God through his word, long for the pure spiritual milk that is that by it you may grow into your salvation, if indeed, listen, I love how this, this passage for today finishes, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, And I know, followers of Jesus, you have tasted the goodness of the Lord, his favor to you, his kindness to you, his forgiveness, his love. And so then, because of that, we live out lives of obedient children, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. Father in heaven, thank you for an opportunity to study your word this morning. Father God, I pray um, that somehow you would teach us I pray that somehow you would enable me to view the suffering of this life as just light and momentary affliction. God, I pray for my church family that you would, that you would encourage and strengthen each of them who are enduring difficulty, who are going through pain and trial and suffering and hardships. God, I pray that you, for each person, that you would enable us to, to, to compare our earthly struggles, the suffering we endure as sojourners, and, and God, would you give us your help to recognize how that pales in comparison to the future grace that, you are, that, that, is, that is our certain hope that we have eternal reward, that we will have eternal life, that when Jesus returns, he will set all things right. God, help us to trust that in the midst of our chaos and in the midst of our suffering that you are at work for our good and your glory. God, may we not set our hope horizontally on things or people that fail, but God, help us to set our hearts and our minds on the living hope, on that future grace that you have promised. And as we um, recognize your goodness to us, as our gratefulness for what you have done for us overflows, may it overflow in, in lives of holy obedience, not striving not thinking we have to earn your favor, but may your goodness to us overflow in a gratefulness that is seen as different. That God, may I pray that it would be true of me and, and, and each follower of Jesus here in the Faith Church family. God, may it be true of us that as your love fills us and overflows out of us, that out of, as your goodness abounds to us, as your grace carries us, may we, our lives be different, be seen and be noticed by those around us as different, not because we are awesome, but because you are. God, teach us to long for your word, 
and thank you that you are at work in us, that your Holy Spirit is transforming us, making us new people from the inside out. And God, thanks that we do not, that, we are, that while we are called to live holy lives, thank you that you have not left us on our own power to do that, but that your Spirit lives within us, empowering us and enabling us to live for you, enabling us to obey, enabling us to glorify you in our conduct, in all we do and say. We give you the glory this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.